Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello to listeners of Dead Ideas and Eastern Border, because this is going on both our shows in our first ever crossover episode. I'm BT Newberg, and I am joined today by Kristaps. Greetings, comrades. <laughs> do not do not listen to what this strange foreigner tells you. It's actually a crossover between the Eastern Border and the Dead Ideas. Obviously. <laughs> that no, but we're, we're here. We're here propaganda. to... <laughs> What what else did you expect? No, seriously, we're we're here just. Uh, well, I'm, I'll I'll let you a spoiler if you haven't listened to the ideas yet. Brandon has Slovenian roots, just like your yes. first lady, and yep. he's making this great series about Tito and Yugoslavia. Uh, he's fixing up the the holes in my own education in this one because I haven't really paid that much attention to it, and uh, it's going to be a great show because this fits in my Stalin series perfectly. So, Brandon, explain to our comrades what are we bringing to them today. What we're bringing you today is the Tito-Stalin split. And for those of you who might be wondering, who haven't been following either of our shows, you might be wondering, who's Tito-Stalin and can he show me how to do the Tito-Stalin split? (laughs) I'm pretty sure either of them can show you how to do a split. Not in the way you would imagine a split would look like, but or would enjoy it for that matter. But uh, oh my god, Stalin! Stal- how how would a Stalin split look I don't like? Know. Or a Tito split? I don't know. But it is it is not some hot new dance. We're talking about two communist dictators, Stalin, of course, the Stalin, and Tito, the dictator of the former Yugoslavia, who in the early Cold War went head to head with Stalin, grudge match style. So. That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas and Eastern Border. Of course, comrades, and uh, I, I understand that my task here is to prove that Stalin is best. 
and Tito is just just some sort of upstart or something. But we shall let you let you discuss and and think uh, the true state of this being. Although obviously Stone wins. <laughs> obviously, but well, we'll find out. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody, and thank you, Kristaps, for doing this with me. Ah, it's okay. It's not like I have anything better to do. My wife's away for like three weeks, and what do I do? I podcast. And <laughs> she came back like as we were recording. <laughs> she came back for a day. A day. <laughs> well, thank you again. Um, so, yeah, like Kristoff said, I've been doing a series on Titoism, on dead ideas, and Kristoff is doing a series on Stalin right now, so the match seemed perfect. Today we're covering the conflict between Tito and Stalin that resulted in Yugoslavia's expulsion from the Cominform, which is basically kind of like being excommunicated from the Church of Communism, I guess, to make an analogy. And uh, so we're taking sides, basically. I will take the side of Tito, and Kristaps will take the side of Stalin. And we're going to go head-to-head like some kind of heavyweight boxing match. We're going to do three rounds in the ring, covering three historical periods of Tito and Stalin's relationship, and the last man standing wins. Now, for those listeners who do, are... Do, do, in, uh, by the <laughs> way, in, it's Tito versus Stalin. Whomever wins, we, we all lose. <laughs> okay, very good. Yes. Good point. Now, for those listeners who are new to our shows, as you can already tell, we use a hefty dose of humor, but the point is, is it's basically the humor is a way into the history, right? So we take on quite serious subjects at times, and both of the guys that we're talking about today were dictators, and we're quite brutal at that. But despite the tragedy, I mean, you just, you gotta laugh too. You know, it's kind of like that TV show MASH. Did you ever see that, that show, Kristaps, MASH? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, no, it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing, cause, uh, well, I, I should sort of, uh, remind you all that Soviets were extremely proud of their, their political jokes, which were basically, ha, look at us, everything's terrible. But this is, this is sort of a, a weird, weird way of coping with the stuff. Exactly, exactly. And so MASH was kind of like that, too, because it was about Americans in the Korean War, and it was mostly a comedy, but every once in a while they would do a serious episode. And and the juxtaposition of the comedy and the seriousness would just bring out kind of that poignancy all the more. So today we're basically doing a, a kind of black humor show that highlights the tensions in what we're talking about when we talk about two dictators. And we're even doing a little black humor contest about that over at Dead Ideas, uh, which we will mention at the end of the episode. I'll tell you a little bit later about that. But yeah, today is going to be a little more on the comedic side, but the tragedy is just beneath the surface. By the way, and that's the, the, and, there's a, and, and there's a Soviet joke about Tito. What? You expected me not to prepare a political anecdote for this? <laughs> so basically, basically one of these is like, you know, Khrushchev goes to Yugoslavia to like make peace and everything, and, and he's welcome there, and, and you know, everything is nice, but he... He kind of drives drives past the fields of Yugoslavia and doesn't doesn't see any any posters of of his own and stuff and he he leaves and and he thinks well you know I should I should do better and, and then Tito Tito pre- comes back with with kind of a in a return <laughs> visit but but you know Khrushchev is prepared so when Tito just when Tito just just drives past the kolkhoz, Khrushchev, uh, Khrushchev has put a poster there, a huge poster, and he was like, you know, how how would I greet him? He's not exactly in the Communist Party. He he, we we kind of have to make up for him. Ah, I'll just be honest. So Tito just drives past the kolkhoz, and what he sees is a huge poster saying, "Long live the Tito's clique." <laughs> okay. <laughs>
<laughs> just like a like just like Tito has his own little um table in the the lunchroom cafeteria at junior high or something huh <laughs> approximately but yeah you know like i said it's kind of it's kind of hard this is there are way more jokes about Khrushchev, Khrushchev than, than Tito available because uh at least Tito was competent a bit <laughs> yeah yeah well okay so all right i think enough introduction let's Cut. Cut, cut this part to shreds if you want to. I'm just, you know, having. <laughs> I I, no, I refuse no. to record an episode if I'm not having fun recording. No, that you gotta <laughs> laugh at the tragedy. That's what we said. This is staying in. All right. So without further ado, let's meet our fighters. In this corner, our reigning champion, weighing in at 162 pounds or 73.5 kilograms, straight from the mountains of Georgia. That would be Soviet Georgia, not U.S. Georgia. General Secretary of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, the Warsaw Pact warrior, leader of the communist world, and the man with the iron mustache. His name literally means man of steel, Joseph Stalin. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and... <wow. laughs> And in the other corner, our challenger, the underdog, weighing in at I don't know how many pounds because I couldn't find it on the internet, hailing from the village of Kumrovic in Croatia from mixed Croatian and Slovenian parentage, president of Yugoslavia, hero of the War of Liberation from the Hitlerites, former communist spy turned defier of domination by Moscow, his name was his final alias from his days as a spy, and he just decided to keep it. Yosip Bros Tito. <laughs> I do have to say that Stalin was also just a name he decided to keep. I you know, it's know. kind of interesting because, yeah. because, uh, and it's kind of weird because uh, it 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 doesn't really ring that way in English, but in Russian, like there's Stalin, there's Molotov, and there's Kamenev, which are like big heroes of the Russian. Mm -hmm. And Kamenev is a nickname meaning the stone one. Molotov means the hammer. Okay, uh -huh. so they at that point it was kind of cool to pick like proletariat sounding nicknames. <laughs> nice. You're not a cool revolutionary to join the real men's club. You have to pick an industry sounding name. Oh, so Man of Steel is like a steel worker then, or something of that sort. Yeah, yeah, but, all, but also still... steel nerves and all that kind of thing too. I guess so. Well, he, Stalin himself preferred Koba in the early life. Yeah, Koba. Koba was his nickname chosen after a um, Koba, the father killer, which is interesting because Stalin almost killed his own dad at the age of seven by throwing a knife at him <laughs> after his dad went on a drunken rage. But yeah, he picked Koba because Koba was uh, Koba was a Georgian folk hero from a novel where he was essentially a robber, kind of a Robin Hood-esque figure. Mm. But one thing from Stalin's early life is the fact that... Mm, Stalin was was put into prison and sent into exile for eight times, and seven of them he managed to escape. Stalin, <laughs> yes. but was for when the when the Stalin was put into prison for the first time, uh, he managed to to become the leader of the local communist party while in prison and organized the work through letters of uh, a bunch of anti-Tsarist typographies and underground presses. <laughs> so he got elected leader of the Communist Party while in prison. So uh -huh. he got sent to Siberia. He escaped from there. 
twice. First time he came back because he wasn't prepared for the long walk home. Second time he escaped. <laughs> and when he escaped, he was moved, uh, he, he was kind of caught and put into another prison. Two days later, he made a prison riot there. The prison riot, riot succeeded and all the things they demanded were kind of approved. For that, he was moved to another prison. And two days, two or three days again, he made a riot there. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of king escaped. of the riots, yeah. It was basically, basically uh, no, at, at one point, it understood that, you know, I'm not exactly sure that Stalin had uh, any understanding of the very concept of morality. Because <laughs> this, this is the one thing. Stalin was extremely efficient at what he was doing because he just didn't understand that people's deaths are human suffering for the idea. Yeah, there's the idea and then there's human suffering and human suffering means nothing to Stalin. Because hmm. the more I've learned about him, he was just, in my eyes, incapable of empathy or any any emotional connection with anyone whatsoever. Hmm. And I do have to give it to Tito because uh, Tito matched, almost matches him at this. Of course, yeah, he Tito started off quite Stalinist. Stalin. Yeah. But the thing is, um, at least as Tito himself, and this is going to be, Tito is, Tito is going to write about this way, way later, and let me find this, but yeah, in the 25th of May, 1974, uh, he, Tito was, given, uh, was giving an interview in the, in the newspaper The Fight or The Struggle, mm -hmm. it's called Bor Borba, and it can be translated different ways, and by the way, these struggle new or fight newspapers were everywhere uh, in the Soviet Soviet kind of Eastern European bloc, and okay, and they gave they gave him uh, basically a question asking him which which kind of decision was harder for you? Was it the decision of a difficult fight against Hitler in the years of war, or or later in the kind of in the connection with the Stalin's positions on things? And Tito gave an interesting answer to this. And he said that the decision to start fighting against Hitler, it wasn't difficult at all. We were mm -hmm. kind of, uh, we were, we were doomed to take on the fight. Mm -hmm. And I'm uh, translating here kind of in the meaning sense. Literally, you will not be able to understand Russian. Mm -hmm. R Russian, uh, R Russian metaphors uh, should be better left out because uh, they involve swear words. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> but... Uh, to take to take the decision in in context with the Stalin's position was much more difficult for me, because for me as a dis, as a disciplined communist internationalist, it was extremely extremely scary and hard to go to such to such a step to make such a decision. Mm -hmm. But as I understood uh, what what was the case about and what what was the the whole thing about in this case what Stalin really wanted. And it was all about the the kind of it was all about the 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 growth of socialism in the world in the future, and the socialistic relationships with the rest of the world, and about what should be the relationships between the socialist countries and how socialism should evolve as such. Well, then I understood uh, the then I understood that I had to make this this kind of burning the bridges down decision. Mm -hmm. And this was the breaking point. This was the decision to start the battle uh, so that all the socialist countries wouldn't be under the di dictatorship of Stalin. Yeah. This is 1974. And you know what? You know what? Um, Wait, so 1974 can... is when he said that, but he's referring to yeah. much, much to earlier. Much, much earlier, yeah. yeah. And 
I'm supposed to fight for Stalin here, and I'll do that with nice dose of terrible humor, but <laughs> I do have to give credit credit to that, and I'm not sure about Stalin, but I know that Tito is definitely way more badass than Hitler. Because <laughs> okay. you know what? It's one thing to backstab someone and to just attack him in hopes of winning him. Okay. And then there's other thing of staring Stalin down, because that's what Tito did. Right. He was open about the situation. And Tito was one of the very few men who have managed to stare Stalin down and survived. That's the thing about okay. Tito, is he had balls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, de- definitely. Whether it was a smart idea or not is an entirely other question. But that anyone would stare down Stalin, not having like nuclear weapons on their side to back them up, and just having basically just podunk little Yugoslavia, that that takes balls. That takes balls. It does. It does. And uh, one thing I want to know, Tito was ridiculously badass. And then there's this classical statement about Stalin, Stalin sending assassins to Tito and them failing. And Tito just responding that stop sending assassins to me or I'll send one to you and he will not <laughs> fail. Uh, I, that, that's kind of anecdotal or anything, but... The fact is, the fact is that you do have to understand that what Tito did was unheard of. Mm-hmm. It was madness. Mm-hmm. It was like, and not not like Tito himself was a very kind and generous and good person. Mm-hmm. Just, it's one of these things that uh, when I speak about Stalin on my show, I have started to admire Stalin for his, you know... If you if you see ballsiness, which basically is like you know you you Americans use Man of Steel for Superman, but well, I believe that if if Lex if Stalin was Soup's adversary, not Lex Luthor, then Soup's would have lost long time ago, right? And would be just somewhere there in gulags producing free energy for the Soviet state running in hamster wheels, okay? right? Because uh, you have to understand that I'm I'm. I, I, at least I'm going to speak for myself. I'm pretty sure you'll agree to this. We're not glorifying these leaders. We're just looking at their role. But it's like it's like speaking yeah, about Genghis absolutely. Khan. Absolutely. Yeah. You and- you at one point you just get stunned about like what's wrong with these guys? It's like other people, other people, given their situation, be like, oh my god, what's going on? These like these guys are like, well, I guess some people gonna have to die now. Oh well. <laughs> Yeah, Watch well, that's, that's the thing about these guys, right? So they, they fit the mold of old world, old style leaders. Like if they were in Genghis Khan's time, if they were in Alexander the Great's time, they would have fit right in. But in modern times, they stand out as as dictators and as brutal, right? So see, it's, modern, it's a whole see, different mindset. It's something that it's... And, and I'm, I'm putting my philosophy in here. I'm sorry. I, I have to do it in every episode. <laughs> this is the second episode I'm in and I'm, ruin- and I'm ruining Brendan's second episode. Right. Um, no, no. Uh, the thing is, the mindset is what matters here. Mm-hmm. The the very fact that, uh, you know, we we normal people tend to think that other people think kind of like us. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I have issues with empathy myself, but my wife tells me that empathy allows you to kind of understand how other people feel. Well, and I've, I've, I'm not going to lie, I have undergone some nice treatment because I would be a terrible sociopath otherwise. Uh-oh. <laughs> and the th- no, seriously, it's, it's a thing. Uh, uh-huh. it's, yeah. my, it's my trouble. But honestly, uh, I kind of... <laughs> and, you know, on a bad day, 
see, on a bad day, I will sometimes, you know, sit down, and if someone has pissed me off, I would just sit, I will just read a book, and, and in my head invent immense amount of tortures about my hated people. I will never realize that, of course, because, you know, I hmm. am a, I'm a functioning sociopath. But Adjusted. these these people, they had no moral qualms, you know. Uh, I tr- I, I'm trying to be the good guy. They didn't even pretend to be the good guy. They thought being a good guy is something that made you lose. Mm. Like, good guys are losers. Mm. Not killing a bunch of people? Pfft. If you can't kill... If you can't kill three... <laughs> If you can't kill at least a million people, you're not a great leader, obviously. What is this? (laughs) And at the same time, at the same time, okay, we've passed out, but the thing is, these people have a different mindset. These people are basically playing chess, and they're just, you know, as you would sacrifice a pawn, these people are ready to sacrifice insane amounts of things. But they are also both true believers of their cause. Yes, absolutely. That's one thing that must be... Yep. You might call them cynical, but they're cynical in a way that they're ready to sacrifice anything for their cause, but they have this idea that they do believe in. Right. They're not faking their beliefs in communism. Right. Because uh, I have heard a lot uh, a lot of commenters these days stating that, well, you know, their communism and their ideas was just something they used to drive their own ambition. And I say that it's all wrong. No, no, no. Uh, their ambition stemmed from their ideologies and they they were fanatical believers in in this this thing in their own separate forms of this right yeah you you do have to put this in context is the fact that this was done in the name of something and you can only you know you can only ba- basically at the otherwise otherwise you know in their both separate countries both Tito and Stalin essentially in their own countries could have they didn't have need for money they could have just acquired anything what was necessary okay mm-hmm. and at one point when you have basically achieved a position of almost godhood mm-hmm. then why do you keep going right so it's like this, this it's like this this what we're talking about here isn't the, the see the point is we, we we might just make funny jokes about tito versus stalin but it's actually a clash of different thoughts of socialism right how socialism should go so these guys were they these are they, these guys are like i love to say they embody ideas Mm-hmm. That's why there is Stalinism and Titoism, because these guys are basically, these guys uh, ascend from being mortal men. Because, for example, Stalin himself, he used to yell at his, he had a stepson. Mm-hmm. Like, he had a stepson and he had a son. And his son, at one point, started signing his letters, Stalin, and he started using this term, Stalin. Okay. So Stalin himself yelled at his own son, and he told him, no, you're not Stalin. He said, well, I'm your son. I mean, that makes me Stalin. He said, no, you're not Stalin. Even I'm not Stalin. Stalin is in the newspapers. Stalin is in the press. Stalin runs the country. Stalin is in the mind of the people. What Stalin says goes. You haven't deserved to be Stalin. You're not the idea. Okay? Right. And this uncovers a madness, which we, the normal people, are. I doubt that we... It would take a series, it's like, in the mind of... Like, you have to stare in the mouth of madness, and the madness stares back, and you become a bit more insane when discussing this. <laughs> and now that I've brought in depression to this show... <laughs> no, no, that was all out, good. But I thought this was really important to say. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. No, okay. So, but now let's get to the history of their conflict, right? So, the backstory uh, of, of how they kind of come into conflict... 
you can find like some of the backstory in in my Titoism series on dead ideas, particularly the second episode. But here's the super quick gist, right? Okay, so we all know Stalin. Stalin. You could By everybody knows way, about Stalin, right? But his second episode is not out in this time of recording, so I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, this is new to Christophs <laughs> too. But anyway, uh, so basically, Tito fought for Austro-Hungary against Tsarist Russia in World War One, but he was taken prisoner. And there, as a prisoner of war in Russia, he's that's where he discovered communism and became radicalized. And then after World War I, he became a communist spy going all over Europe and kept his final alias, Tito, as a permanent name. And then going back to Yugoslavia, he joined the Communist Party, which was soon purged by Stalin of everyone except Tito, because Stalin thought that the others were just apparently worthless or something. So by default, Tito kind of became the leader of the communist party in Yugoslavia, which wasn't in power yet at the time. They were just, you know, people who were, you know, hoping for someday something to happen in Yugoslavia. And then World War II broke out. And when World War II broke out and, and Yugoslavia was invaded by the Axis powers, then Tito started a communist resistance group of partisans. And that's really where our Tito-Stalin relationship begins here. They didn't really I, I, I'm not sure exactly when it was that they met, but they they met infrequently. Oh, I can tell you ever. when they met. Yeah, I can tell you when they met. By the way, okay, because they first met during wartime. Okay, it was during and wartime. Yes, okay, it was during wartime. And the thing is, what Stalin didn't like at all was the fact that uh, Tito at that point was the marshal of the Yugoslavian forces. Yes, of this. Uh, I know how it's in Russian. Uh, DKU, KPU, Komunistische Partij Yugoslavia, Communist Party of Yugoslavia. But he, there, he was also kind of uh, the leader of uh, what was it? Uh, the Partisans is what we call them in English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Partisans. Yeah. I just want to. They had this partisan organization, which was yeah. DPO or something of that sort. Okay. Uh, he was the he was the leader of this, and he met Stalin as a marshal of his own forces while Stalin was the marshal of the Soviet Union. So they, you know, they had the same military, military kind of uh, grade, the military, you know, what, what are these things? Mm-hmm. They, were both, they were both, they were both military rank, yes. Yeah. Right. yeah. Stalin was very disappointed about the fact that they met as equals because the Soviet Union was much larger and was was seen back then as, uh, okay, I'm still dropping Max and now, and was seen basically as the, like, the central of the Comintern. Mm-hmm. And Tito viewed himself as Stalin's equal when they first met. Mm-hmm. So that is why Stalin already from the first meeting, you know, he was used to people, you know, being subservient to him, people being below Stalin. And that came also from kind of these, um, how we call them, brotherly republics, you know, friendly republics like Poland and Hungary and Czechoslovakia, you know, all, the, all these places. And here, you know, everyone's subservient to Stalin except Tito. Mm-hmm. Tito mm-hmm. is just equal to him. And that pissed off Stalin so much. <laughs> yeah, so from the very start, yeah, it was just, you could tell that it was it was going to be frenemies at best. I like that, Kristaps, you got in the first swing before the bell even rang. I think that was like dirty, true Stalin style. <laughs> okay, so let's let's ring the bell now for round one of our boxing match, right? Covering World War II era. But already... Stalin's got Tito like on the ropes here, right? I I okay. have to I have to I have to <laughs> like I have to give a legal disclaimer here because by this point on my show we're not on World War Two. 
And uh, then I say, I shall, with Dan Carlin's approval, by the way, I shall fix the holes that Dan, that Dan left in the Eastern Eastern Front because he <laughs> must left out a lot of shit, a lot of terrible, terrible stuff. And uh, whatever I say on this podcast shall be explained in detail in future episodes because we will have at least three months of World War Two. Nice. At the very least. Because, oh my god, so many... 60 million people died. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Well, let's get right to it, okay? So, round one, and Tito's going to come back from that, like, like sucker punch that Stalin just got in and say that we were the first ones to fight the fascists. At oh, the, I'll give you a freebie. You, I'll no, give no, you freebie, when you guys man. were still buddy buddy with hitler and thinking you were just gonna divide poland and then be friends after that the axis powers were already invading yugoslavia in april 6 1941 the germans italians and hungarians all invade and it wasn't until june 22nd of that year that hitler stabs stalin in the back and invades the ussr at the same time by the way uh, and I'll give, I'm, give, I'm giving you some bonus points because Tito needs some help from the other side as well. <laughs> At the same time, by the way, uh, a lot of people in the West. Me. I will, obviously. <laughs> you deserve it. Uh, basically, the idea was that in the West, uh, in the West, this this fact that this uh, partisan movement existed was kind of toned down because at this point, no one in the West and the Allied side is trying to even paint Tito as a hero. No, no, they're all around this. Dmitry Mikhailovich, mm-hmm. which was the which was the person whom the mass media in Great Britain and USA kind of they wanted to make this Mikhailovich as the leader of the resistance in Yugoslavia. Yep, and they made him the 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 Yugoslav the Yugoslavian Robin Hood, the Wonder Man, the Great Man, everything. So basically, uh, that. That in the West created the myth that the anti-fascist movement in Yugoslavia was led by him, when in fact Mikhailovich's movement was wasn't supported by the people, and Tito was the man, was the real man who was doing everything. Yeah, and how that so okay, so Mikhailovich's resistance movement that that was what was the Chetniks, and then the partisans those were the Tito resistance movements. It's two different movements, right? And the thing was when the the Axis powers came in. Uh, for every one German that was killed by Yugoslavs, resistance fighters, then they would kill 100 Yugoslavs as retaliation. And in response, Mihailovic and his Chetniks were like, okay, well, this, okay, there's too many of our own people dying. We're just going to hang back and kind of do more passive resistance. But Tito kept fighting. And that really won the people's hearts and minds, even though more of them were dying because of it. At the same time, all of them dying only made them more and more pissed off and wanted to fight back against the Germans and also the Italians and the Hungarians and the Croatians, which at the time uh, were uh, under the Ostasi, who uh, the the Germans installed as basically um, fascist satellite, I guess you could say. Okay, so the other thing that that I wanted to put in here as as like a second jab here is that... um, Stalin, you told all of your, like, all all the other communist resistance movements and all the countries all around, 
to be anti-fascist, anti-axis, but you told them not to actively be pro-communist in their movements because well, you didn't want to alienate the allies by piss them off by by spreading communism amongst them. But I was like, uh-uh, that's not happening. We got to be for something, not just against something. So I went pro-communist from the very start with my partisan movement, put red stars on their caps, taught them about communism in my camps. Uh, I am a true Marxist. <laughs> well, being a true Marxist isn't isn't that difficult if you speak about Stalin through Marxism. And about the World War II, oh my God. Uh, 15 minutes ran from Christophs here. See, the thing is, I am at the given moment of recording, I am digging through an insane amount of sources at the beginning of World War One, mm-hmm. World War Two. I'm sorry, World War Two. And honestly speaking, honestly speaking, I cannot give you a straight answer on, and I've been asked this a lot, why Hitler invaded the Soviet Union. Uh, and right. I can't give you a straight answer on the question, what was Stalin's plan, plans at this point? Because, and uh, and my opinion might change as I do more research, it's just that the very fact that uh, a lot of Western sources and later on Khrushchev will depict Stalin as paranoid and, and afraid of Hitler mm. when he had a numerical advantage, when his tanks were basically all prepared in the offensive formation. The thing is, I do believe at this point that Stalin would attack Hitler and would just sweep through Western Europe on his own as the Great Liberator if Hitler hadn't attacked him. Oh. <laughs> That's another thing, and he was planning on attacking this. Maybe, okay? This is extremely controversial shit that I'm talking right now, okay? Because yeah. the thing is, the mainstream idea of the history goes that Stalin was just, prepared, like you said, being friendly-friendly, but it doesn't work together with everything else that I know about Stalin. At no point mm. it works. See... Stalin, his whole life, was ruthless and calculating. I was never surprised. The idea that he let himself be surprised just doesn't make any sense in context. However, mm. it kind of helps in the political spectrum because over here it's better, better, better politically stuff. And and uh, for now, like I said, for now, because I'm doing a lot of research for this and there's a reason I left it for like late in my show, it kind of seems more likely that Stalin wanted Hitler to start like his massive evil war of oppression so that he could come in and liber- as a liberator and install socialist governments everywhere. So in a way, Tito, with his resistance, ruined his plans if you believe this theory. And again, this is just my opinion from the facts that I have gathered, because over here in these parts, the very... Because this this thing kind of changes Stalin's plans. Wait, yeah, like so you said, how did it ruin his plans? One of the thing is... Like you said previously, and one of the more interesting things about the World War II is the fact that Hitler came to power by winning elections. Cause, uh, and social democrats and socialists in those elections previously were, suppo- were supposed to run in the single bloc in Germany. Stalin specifically prohibited the communists of, of, of Germany to run in the single bloc, which basically caused them to lose the elections. So if they had run in the single bloc, they would have gotten more votes than Hitler and they would have the, the chancellorship. Due to Stalin's huh. orders, Hitler won the elections. Due to uh-huh. specific yep. Stalin's documented orders. Okay. Due to his orders. Okay. Due to his orders, basically, he basically he said no. Screw, screw those guys. Uh, Hitler is our buddy. Let's let let him win. 
And hmm. when Germany was demilitarized, Stalin basically invited German Hitler's officers and essentially Stalin gave all the Hitler's tank corps training. Mm. Gave a military experience. Mm-hmm. And there are insane things about this situation. But these things are documented. So in a very fucked up way, Stalin had a master plan throughout all this situation. And he was surprised by Hitler, but I really think he had some plans on his own. Mm. But I'm getting here in the massive hate mail territory. But like I said, these are all <laughs> theories and these are all weird things. And I'm not trying to say that, that, that anything was... See, in the in the game of more evil, there are no winners. There are just losers. Uh. I'm just stating that uh, beginning of World War II and the period where Tito is resisting fascism is kind of... Another thing which I might see here is the fact that Tito is resisting Hitler at the very period where Stalin was sort of playing Hitler for his own agenda. Of course, I might change my opinion when this is actually aired, but so far from what I have seen and researched, it kind of seems that Tito, well, Stalin was based on Tito used this in an argument, you know, because later on Stalin would go on to be this great defender against fascism. But if you think about it, this was his plan all along, you know, just let Hitler weaken everyone and then we can come in and conquer everything and be the great, great saviors of everything. Then, then you know, Stalin cannot liberate Yugoslavia if Yugoslavia doesn't need liberation. So Stalin uh, cannot take over Yugoslavia. Sure. This is... And again... Okay, it's just a theory here, and it's it's so controversial this early war. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous because uh, all these moments about this. And by the way, I'm not sure if you listened to this, but which which date again? Stalin. Do you know the date when Hitler attacked the Soviet Union? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I had just it? said it, and it is. June 22nd, 1941. Yeah. Uh, According to some documents, Stalin had planned on launching an attack on Hitler himself uh, just three days later, June 25th. (laughs) According to some theories, again. So so basically... See, 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 you don't get this. So basically, Stalin lost the initiative role. Yeah, and you know know, know what kind of supports this fact? Uh Uh-huh. The fact that, do you know when the first, the Soviets celebrated their victory over in the World War II, like, as they call it, the Great Fatherland War, which is different because they only celebrate the war against Hitler. There is no celebrations on the 8th of May, and there are no celebrations again, uh, when, like, after the defeat of Japan. They celebrate their victory in their Great Fatherland War, which they separate from World War II, because their war lasted from, not from 1939, from 1941. They celebrate on the 9th of May. The thing is, the first celebrations of this thing happened only after the death of Stalin. During Stalin's era, there were no parades, no victory day celebrations, no nothing. Stalin even wasn't accepting the glories of the winning the war himself. It was Zhukov. Stalin Hmm. wasn't even on the parade first. Hmm. Oh, Khrushchev in 1965 set up this date for the first time ever. There was no victory in the World War II for Soviet Union until 1965. Hmm, hmm, hmm. And and kind of, and one of the theories is that Stalin 
wanted to basically spread socialism through France and everything. He wanted to be the great conqueror and well, in a yeah. way, American st- in a way, in a way, Americans screwed over Stalin by a- attacking Hitler first, rather than anything else. But again, we're delving into the territory where you're gonna get so much hate mail for this, and so am I. <laughs> but uh, it's just that we're we're discussing World War II, and we're touching Eastern Front. Uh-huh. That is literally, no matter what you say about this, zero way of not pissing people off about this in here. Because I'm pretty sure the people from Yugoslavia see we live in the shadow of this war. So I do have, and, and again, and again, and we're, we're talking about Tito. And this Tito argument is, again, one of the reasons why people actually think that Stalin was sort of behind the World War II himself. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm sorry, it's fucked up and i'm really scared to speak about this because uh, whenever you mention such things do you know what the first thing is gonna come to my mail <laughs> that is, i'm a nazi i'm obviously a nazi scumbag <laughs> yeah because they killed half of my family too and i obviously love nazis because you know soviets killed one part of my family nazis killed the other part so i must love them both in one way or another okay mm. let's just move on beginning of world war Two rages me i'm giving i'm giving you this round i i have okay. i have i have raged okay. enough of this all right ding 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 <laughs> okay so <laughs> the towels go out the fighters go to their separate corners yeah so it's tito like got in a few jabs <laughs> and made stalin really angry <laughs> well while stalin was doing incomprehensible things in the corner raging at the world no but look 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 i'm really i'm really sorry for this and you can cut this out it's just that uh just an explanation just for you as a podcast. Mm-hmm. Look, there's a yeah. reason why I started with Khrushchev. Because yeah. World War Two is so terribly complex. Mm-hmm. And like all the Western sources basically state that Stalin was kind of this good guy who didn't expect Hitler to rise to power. But I just don't understand these historians myself. Because there yeah, is right. so much evidence on the contrary that it's kind of this weird whole, oh, poor Stalin, he was... Oh, poor Stalin's story just, 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 it irritates me. And I'm looking from the facts from the both sides. And there are, of course, things that maybe Stalin was the good guy. And maybe he had different intentions. But, but we're talking about the dude whose reality shifted his own birthday. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 and really, I've been called a Nazi for like nine gazillion times already by fanatical modern day Marxists because I dare to criticize Stalin. Please don't put this on the show. I just, you know. <laughs> well, what we, what we should do, though, what we should do is we should take this part out and we should release it as like a special episode on your feed or maybe on your Patreon. It's really interesting. Oh, well, what I've, you, you do what you want with this. It's going to be fine. It's just that it's very fucking complex to talk about. Like I, <laughs> I'll and say this, so. And, and, th- and this is why Dan Carlin gave me his approval of this, by the way, because mm-hmm. uh, I told them all this, all these controversies that are still here and how they basically determine the modern-day political stance of Russia towards us. Because mm-hmm. you see, Russia denies that there ever was a violent occupation of the Baltic states or uh. that there was a really aggressive war against Finland. Mm-hmm. Russia claims that it was people of Finland who asked the Soviet Union to come invade their evil, oppressive government. Of course it was. At the same time... Like one person. What, hap- <laughs> what, the sa- what, the same, what, what happened in, in Baltic states in 1940, before the Hitler ever, atta- ever, ever attacked Soviet Union, was basically the fact what happened in Crimea. 
Um, they 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 signed a deal with our countries to keep their military forces here, and we agreed. So they mm-hmm. brought their armies in, and at one point they just declared that our governments have screwed them over, and that they would be overthrowing these governments and be holding a free election free elections with Soviet military personnel and tanks on our streets and KGB officers just looking at how you vote and if you voted the wrong way you'd be taken away okay mm-hmm. and all like the other parties like it wasn't a fair election at all it was like under extreme duress and stress mm-hmm. and but because this joining of the Soviet Union happened because of elections it doesn't matter that they were ridiculous and terrible mm-hmm so this is why Russians still today claim that they have some legitimate claims on these lands, and this is the reason why they do all these things in this region, in Ukraine, and they are very aggressive about the Baltics. Because they firmly believe that we joined Russia on our free accord, because that suits their political needs, and they abuse World War Two to maximum, like, whatever they can. They, this is the only... World War Two is the only reason why they claim Crimea, you see. World War II here still plays a major political role. And one thing I have to give to Tito, and leave leave from this on the show what you want, but I have to give it to Tito. This is the reason why Russia isn't meddling in the Balkans today, because of Tito. Because hmm. Tito stood firm against this. Because Tito did not allow his own country's history to be screwed over. He resisted Stalin, so Stalin couldn't rewrite his rewrite the history of of, of the Yugoslavian people of all the, all these Yugoslavian peoples, Serbs, Croats, Slovenians, everyone. Mm. And that is the biggest biggest thing that Tito did, historically speaking. What I think, because uh, yeah, right now in these countries, Russia has almost zero political traction, and that's because of Tito. Mm. So mm-hmm. they're way safer than we are now here. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. That definitely has to be released somewhere. Yeah. Well, you you do you do with this what you want. It's just that uh, I'm sorry. You str- when it comes to World War II, you just struck a nerve. I hope you yeah. are not too angry. Oh, me? No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Okay, but but let's. I, I do have to get going eventually. So. Okay. 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 Go on. Go okay. on. I am so sorry. Okay. So man. let's. Yeah. So okay. <laughs> so let's move on to round two. Round two is the showdown after World War II, where things really come to a head between Tito and Stalin. So we're going 1946 to 1948 for this round, okay? So in, in round two I here... I dare this, to disagree, sir! <laughs> so in, in this era, mutual slights and insults, such as that Marshall's uniform that we were talking about in the last round, really bring tensions to a boil, right? Okay, and one of the things also that happened during World War II was towards the end, when Yugoslavia was being liberated and starting to to kick out the Axis, uh, Tito's partisans couldn't take Belgrade without the artillery that the Soviets had. They needed the Soviets' help to do that, but Tito demanded that the Soviets withdraw as soon as Belgrade is taken. And Stalin agreed, not because he was like, oh, sure, that's reasonable, but because he needed to send his troops to Hungary anyway. But that that just that was exactly like the marshal's uniform, where <clears throat> where it, it really pissed him off with this idea. I can idea, give, like, you, a, you, I can can give, give me you an, an extreme. 
I can give you extremely accurate data about the Soviet help. Okay. Soviets sent 155,000 of rifles, 35,000 of automatic rifles, 155,000 of bolt-action rifles, 16,000 of heavy machine guns, uh, 6,000 6, of... Uh, of like these uh, mine throwers, grenade okay. throwers, grenade like throwers, okay. heavy weaponry, yeah, uh, like the, these you know mortars and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. About yeah. f- about fifty planes and seventy tanks. But but here's the thing, and this pisses off Stalin too. After the war, Tito and his partisans claim openly that they liberated themselves. It was not the Soviets that liberated them; they liberated Yugoslavia. And that doesn't sit well. <laughs> well, first off, I do have to say that what doesn't sit well first is the very declaration of Yugoslavia. Because sure. in, the, in the 7th of March, 1945, according to the recommendations of the Yalt Conference, Tito forms the temporary people's uh, government of the Democratic Federated Yugoslavia, which was basically later on the, later that month, the uh, Jure, Admi- the Jure kind of admitted as to exist by the Soviet Union, United States of America, and Great Britain. Mm-hmm. And most of most of these, basically, and he st- he became the prime minister, basically the chairman of the Council of Ministers and the Minister of Defense at that point. Mm-hmm. The thing is, the Soviet Union were the first ones to send a ambassador to this new government. Because, you know, they make this government and they make this their, their declaration, uh, you know, of what they're going to do and who they are, like, blah, 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 we are the new Yugoslavian government, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they, they send their, their ambassador first in the 12th of March. Of course, stating that with this ambassador comes also the help, uh, the help and support to the <clears throat> brotherly nations of Yugoslavia. But, but, a day later, in a closed top secret letter which was addressed to Tito mm-hmm. Cardelio Hebrangu, apparently from the Soviet side, mm-hmm. there was a, a, a stated disappointment of the, of the declaration of this Yugoslavian government, which they called to be mm, pale or weak. <laughs> they stated that, you know, they, they, they basically were angry that the new Yugoslavian government didn't didn't strongly uh, show that the Soviet Union was basically responsible for the liberation of the country. Right. And that there there was a lack of a strong position in the question of becoming becoming closer with other Slavic countries. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that there was some sort of a muted role of the Soviet Union in the forming of this country. Mm-hmm. And they specifically, specifically mentioned that, quote, being silent in this question cannot be good for, cannot be good to the new democratic Yugoslavia. Mm. So the Soviet government, well, basically Stalin, they stated that the failures of this declaration of this new Yugoslavian government, uh, basically, they, they are, they, they are basically the... Pressure, they are basically the result of the pressure of Shubarshin and Grola, who, from the very first steps of the new Yugoslavian government, try to uh, try to push their own vision on the democratic Yugoslavia. Basically, mm. Stalin didn't like these two members of parliament, this Grol and Shubarshin. And Tito, in, in his response, 
basically responded that uh, he he basically uh, he basically had to put in these two people in his parliament because Grohl was necessary because that would make the situation in Yugoslavia easier uh, in the first part because that would be <clears throat> quote it would be easier in this way to break the Serbian reaction because at this point at the moment of the creation of Yugoslavia Serbs still won their own country. Mm. And secondly, without this Grohl, the Allied forces would not be a would not give the the, the Jura kind of you know recognition to this new country. And Stalin basically responds to this response in the letter which he writes on the fifteenth of March, nineteen forty five. And he demo- he now is demonstratively openly addressing Tito, Cardelli, and Hebron, and he says that Tito's argumentation is wrong. And he stands on his own that these people should be <clears throat> dealt with mm. accordingly. Mm-hmm. So uh, another thing that Tito did wrong, <laughs> sort of, according to Stalin, was that basically uh, Tito made a public dinner of all the new kind of ambassadors in his country. Mm-hmm. In the honor of the... there were There was an official dinner made by Tito for the ambassadors of, Uni- of the United States, of Great Britain, and the USSR, and some others. Uh-huh. But, but, in the kind of the more honorary place, which would, by the way, follow at that point with the common diplomatic etiquette, according to, like, the elderness of the diplomats, uh, according to the amount of time spent in the country, according to the according to, they didn't basically they didn't put the USSR diplomat in the place of honor in the table. They put the Great Britain's diplomat in the place of in in the place of honor on the table, uh, even though the the British diplomat had kind of deserved it because he was longer in the country. And you know, there's a lot of rules of diplomatic protocol. Stalin did not take that well, a lot. Huh. I didn't know this part. There, there was there, yeah, and and this was one of the one of the slides that kind of Tito did. See, Tito uh, later stated that you know he did everything according to protocol, and this is what he did. Mm-hmm. But then we're talking about Stalin here, and Stalin couldn't give less shits about protocol, even if you know shits were pointing gun at his head, and yeah. Stalin would be like laughing in their face. What he yeah. what he cares about is that when he looks eye to eye with another person, they back down and acknowledge his dominance. He's the alpha. Absolutely. Yeah. And Tito. Right from the beginning, decides that you know what, and I'm playing against Stalin here, but uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I am not a huge fan of Stalin. If someone didn't kind of guess, not a huge fan of Tito either. But anyways, uh, yeah, Tito basically decides that um, that this kind of this kind of uh, happens, and he'll he rule in his own country. Hmm. But yeah, this this doesn't stop Tito because uh, Tito arrives with his delegation, first delegation ever, to the Soviet Union in the fifth of April, nineteen forty-five. Mm-hmm. In the in the eleventh of April, nineteen forty-five, Tito and Molotov. Again, I mentioned the nicknames. Molotov mm-hmm. is the diplomat, by the way, and Molotov, uh, Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact is the pact which basically screwed Eastern Europe in general in World War Two. Just saying. And Molotov would later be killed by Stalin because who wasn't who wasn't right when Stalin was there and Tito and Molotov signed a Soviet Yugoslavian kind of a friendship treaty of quote uh, 
quote, brotherly help and all-around cooperation. And uh, later on, on the 13th of April, two days later, um, Mikoyan, which is at that point Soviet minister, and Petrovich, they basically put their signatures on another deal, which basically means that, you know, in, like free trade agreement between, between USSR and Yugoslavia. During all this time, Stalin twice invited Tito on his own summer house for hmm. dinner. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mm-hmm. And the weirdest part is at this did, point, everyone's... Did Tito bring the wrong kind of hot dish or something? Tito never went there. <laughs> oh, Tito politely oh, he refused. he snubbed him? He yeah. snubbed Stalin. Tito snubbed Stalin. <laughs> and that's like three times already by this point. <laughs> everyone, oh else who snubbed, everyone else who snubbed Stalin previously Is was dead. dead. <laughs> yeah, was dead. De- uh, either, de- either dead or in a gulag. <laughs> AKA soon to be dead. Okay, but at the same time, Tito, by the way, uh, he gave an interview to the newspaper, the Red Star, because you know communist newspapers are always fun in names, and uh, he declared at this point, <clears throat> this uh, extreme warmth and uh, honest heartedness and kindness with whom I was greeted everywhere by the Soviet people left a huge impact on me. So Tito is basically extremely polite and extremely nice and extremely kind. Mm -hmm. And he's still paying lip service to everything. Mm -hmm. Well, I would be too. I mean, until I'm ready to actually come out and make a decisive move, like I'm not going to follow Stalin, I would be doing my damnedest to make it at least look like I was. Yeah, but see, this is the thing that, uh, and this this has to be taken with a huge grain of salt. And uh, kind of this is going to be more in the next part, but basically, you know, I use a lot of Khrushchev's memoirs on when I'm doing my Stalin series. But the thing is, Khrushchev did everything he could to separate himself from Stalin, because during Stalin's era, Khrushchev was basically uh, the general, the general commissar, the gen- one of the main leaders of Kharkov, and then leaders of Ukraine in general. And Khrushchev signed a lot of these papers of mur- mass murder. So Khrushchev was as, as much involved in Stalin's massacres than anyone else. Hmm. He just, you know, liked to cleanse his own name after this. That's why the 20th Congress went there, so that, you know, all the people involved in the mass butchery of other people would, oh, like, you know, cleanse... They, 
that's that's what I go on in my very first episodes. By the way, okay. they 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 denounced Stalinism because they were all involved in Stalinism. They just wanted their hands clean. Just just saying, uh, Khrushchev wasn't a very non-murderous guy. He just you know pretended he wasn't so that you know we didn't know anything about twenty million dead. It was all Stalin. <laughs> and that that's going to be a little foreshadowing for for the end of this episode here when there's a a rapprochement between uh, Yugoslavia yeah, but, and, and the USSR under Khrushchev. But I, I but I before no, the I, end I, of the, I, 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 before well, the bell just, rings at the end of this round, I want to get I, in a few jabs. I, 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 I just want to I just want to state some thing about what's going on like in the next round because okay. uh, Khrushchev writes in his memoir memoirs and he writes in his uh, kind of report about the cult of personality and its consequences. And he writes... Mm. He writes as he remembers that the Stalin had... Mm. In the latest period of his life, he became more... Capri- capricious? Yeah, something. capricious. That's right. Capricious, more, more rude, more irritated. Uh, his suspicion about everything was way more pronounced. Uh, his mania of being followed... Uh, was raised to insane levels. A lot of his staff became sudden enemies of his. After the war, Stalin even more was uh, was just moving away from the collective, worked absolutely alone, and you couldn't and he didn't kind of uh, coordinate his actions with anyone. So here he speaks about the deepening of Stalin's paranoia. Now, one thing is one thing is for sure: Stalin became way more depressed after World War Two for insane reasons, but uh, yeah, you have to take these words with a grain of salt, because later on, Khrushchev would solely blame Stalin for all these all these struggles with Tito. Because mm. Stalin at this point is, you know, not doing anything. Up to 1948, Soviet newspapers are basically writing that, you know, we are friendly with Yugoslavia, everything is awesome, great Yugoslavian leader Tito, and it doesn't matter what happens in truth, because as you know now, there were conflicts before, there were just slinging, but uh, the real loser of all this is a Soviet man. The Soviet man gets kept in the darkness, everything is great between the socialist republics. Same as with China, mind you, because, you know, later on they would break out with, break with them too. Mm. At this point, all the peoples of both countries, because I'm pretty sure this happened in Yugoslavia as well, because I am literally looking at a picture of... Uh, 22nd of June 1941 Yugoslavian newspaper here mm-hmm. and yeah the, its Russian translation also states that yeah Stalin was praised there as the great leader of the communist countries well he was at, in 1941 that's what you said right yeah and the thing yeah. is if you think about this they might have hated each other but uh, what about their people well yes and we'll get there too right uh, but I, okay so I want to get a few jabs in okay so with the clock is ticking down to the, to the end of this round, right? So, okay. So, so, so Tito's pissed off at, at Stalin because during the war, he, he feels like he didn't really get enough attention and enough aid from the Soviet Union. And also after senpai, the war me. too. Notice me, senpai. <laughs> because, exactly. Uh, and after the war too, because after the war, of course, that's the very beginning of the Cold War and everything is focused on what's going to happen between the great West, you know, led by the only country that didn't get bombed to shit, which is America, and and the East, led by the Soviet Union, of course, and and that's all focused on uh, like 
places like Berlin and the division between East Berlin and West Berlin, Yugoslavia is relatively far from all that. It's not right on the Soviet borders, and it's not like a, a major focus. So neither during the war nor, nor after it did Tito feel like he really got enough support from the Soviets. And then another thing that pissed him off was the coastal city, the port town of Trieste, which is on the Adriatic coast um, facing Italy. Tito wanted Trieste and had taken that area during the war and wanted to keep it. But Stalin bargained it away as like a bargaining chip, giving it back to Italy, hoping to gain concessions from the West in this much larger balance of power game in which Tito's opinion didn't matter. So that pissed him off. And then furthermore, around 1946, even though uh, at this point, Tito and Stalin are both exactly the same communist, you know, ideologies and everything, and they're supposedly best buds, and the West even thinks that uh, Yugoslavia is is Soviet satellite number one. So you're giving so you're giving me this round because while Stalin's playing massive games of power <laughs> with Truman and uh, by the way Stalin wrote about Harry Truman and he was like ah oh, well the Stalin honestly thought that Harry Truman was a complete noob at politics and that he had him under around his finger he uh, thought the same about FDR and he had zero respect for American leaders and while he's playing the big boys game Tito is like notice me exactly exactly right so I, I, it's like it's like Tito's it's like Tito's like trying to like punch him and, and Stalin is just holding his forehead with his hand and he just can't quite get to him <laughs> yeah so so but but what uh, the USSR does is send, they send in spies to Yugoslavia in, in, under the guise of making a documentary about the Yugoslav resistance. But the script portrays Tito in a minor role during the war, and that pisses off Tito. And then it turns out that they're spies. And so it's just like, yeah, it, it really just really screws things up between them. And then finally, when it, when it all boils over, it's 1947, Tito signs something called the Bled Agreement, with Bulgaria to affirm, quote, friendship, cooperation, and mutual assistance, basically forming like a special kind of little alliance between them. And, you know, they're both heads of state, so they have the official right to do that. But Stalin is not consulted, and this severely pisses off Stalin. And yeah, after he, that, it's, he, it's he like also done himself, between them. He also himself stated that... <clears throat> Nationalistic line thinking like this can only can only result in Yugoslavia turning into a common bourgeoisistic republic, and we cannot have that, comrades. Why am I sending all these spies in every other country if they just act act like as they want? Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, Brandon, Brandon, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, I think your microwave has its doors open. I'm getting reports here. Sorry, what? <laughs> your microwave, like you left it open. <laughs> <laughs> is this like some kind of assassination attempt? No, no, my 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 agent in the fridge is getting cold. So you're spying on me right now. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I got <gotcha>. you. <laughs> That's good. So okay, so all of this boils over, and in June of 1948, Yugoslavia is expelled from the Komen Form, which is basically the organization of all the uh the the communist states right and it's the cool club and if you're out of the cool club you're just plain out right and oh and... dude yeah and th- th- this is just amazing because i'm uh i'm reading right now from from a dude 
mm, from a dude called Marta. I, I can't really find it because it's like, um, oh boy. And now we're getting into weird territory, folks. <laughs> uh... You know, you know how Russian internet works, don't you? You, you don't. Okay, fuck it, nope. you don't. Um, Russian internet works like this. There are some more ordinary people, and then there are sites which are funded by the government, because every site which gets more than 3,000 visitors per month, which would be mine and yours and everyone else's, like, you get, three, you get more than 3,000 downloads a month. Uh, that means yeah. you are mass media. In Russia. <laughs> okay. And that means that if someone comments something on your... Imagine, if you were in Russia, and you would run your show, and someone would post a racist comment on your site, and you would notice it for a while, then you would be put in prison for allowing this, because you take full responsibility. <laughs> That's okay. amazing, isn't it? So there are a lot of sites, a lot of weird stuff, created by propaganda and one of the things which i found while researching this was uh, a person from saint petersburg called martans and uh, he wrote <clears throat> he wrote in his paper Stalina, or Zapryshny Stalin, or basically which means another look at stalin or forbidden stalin and he writes about the revisionism of tito and the united states of america because tito was an american spy all along of course and he, he was. writes because these things are everywhere, you guys. And that is why I, I'm having so much fun about researching this. Mm. Basically, he writes that the CIA spies uh, worked with Tito himself. They basically managed to convert Tito to capitalism. And that, quote, In the June of 19, 1948, the Information Bureau of the Communist Parties, where where, where representatives of the nine parties went, they basically published a resolution with a critic of the Yugoslavian Communist Party. And in that declaration, it was stated that Tito does not does not give enough attention to the growth or to the growth of class differences in the countryside, and he doesn't care about the, the capitalistic elements in his country. He is not um, dealing with them fast enough. <laughs> in this resolution, it was stated, in the resolution in which Tito got thrown out, mind you, in this resolution it was stated that uh, Tito has taken a bourgeoisistic nationalistic position and that the Yugoslavian Communist Party has broken the United Front against capitalist imperialism. Uh-huh. It's just crazy. And they, yeah, they, called, they called me a heretic too, right? So, and, yeah. a, and like a deviant and uh, yeah, yeah, all of that. In some way, they didn't use the word heretic, but it's essentially what it says. Yeah. And at that point, it was basically, basically weird because uh, all of these people are again in modern internet. They're using this. And mm -hmm. <laughs> look, look, uh, as you mentioned in this nationalist episode, this is used to achieve some political goals. Goals even today. This is way more depressing than you might even fucking imagine. I'm just making fun and doing fun things, but these things are used to, to make people vote a certain way. These things are used to instill fear in people. Tito is used in Russia today to instill fear of America because obviously America stole Yugoslavia from us. America influenced uh, Tito. America sent agents there. Interesting. You are the evil guys. <laughs> Interesting. You want to kill my family. Uh-huh. Well, well, it's a and, narrative that, that's very appealing. And sure. you know what? This doesn't even belong in your show. 
Because <laughs> Titoism is not a dead idea. Titoism has just been resurrected and reused. Uh, in that Ta-da. in that respect. In that respect, yeah. And you know okay, okay, well, okay, well, Tito, well, Tito yeah. and Stalin murders are one thing, but when you know, and a little side note for my listeners, I only use Russian sources when I'm researching this. I don't research anything. I don't Google stuff. I Yandex stuff, which Yandex is the Russian search thing, and I only search hmm. for Russian sources because I want to give you stuff that you can't hear elsewhere. Exactly. And when I look at modern, and you know how these people call themselves, mind you. Uh, they yell at fascists, right? They basically we are mm, the Western Europe, according to Russia, are called um, liberasts, which are gay gay liberals, like pederasti liberali, like <laughs> liber, liberal pederasts, and they call us gay fascists. They everything's a fascist. Do you know how this group who presents the fact that American spies infiltrated Tito and basically caused the Soviet Union to break because of this? They call themselves national Bolsheviks. They claim they fight against fascism while being national Bolsheviks. Let me remind you that Bolsheviks are essentially socialists. Uh, so you make your own conclusions. And this... <laughs> Welcome to my world! It's impossible to make any anything apolitical in this day and age by this point if you're speaking yeah. about World War II. Wow. Okay, well, okay, so the, the bell rings, the bell rings to signal the end of round two, right? Bing, bing, bing. <laughs> you are winning! Got, well, I don't, I don't know, I, I feel like you're winning, actually, because, like, I was jabbing my, I was, like, jabbing to beat hell, but you were just, like, holding me at arm's length, so. Um, and you expelled me from the Komen form, but that sucked for Yugoslavia, right? So I, I think that round goes to you, Stalwood. Okay, so round three, round three is the era of uh, 1948 to 1953 uh, when their communist ideologies begin to diverge. And they they diverge not because, my impression is not because they originally had different ideas in mind, but because they had this falling out between each other and then one wanted to uh, distinguish themselves. So, so Tito, I don't necessarily think wouldn't have adopted what I'm now calling Titoism unless he had this falling out with Stalin. That's my take on it. But anyway, okay, so 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 after the war, right? And and then they get expelled from the common form. Then they are now a a major threat to the USSR. He's finally getting the attention he wanted, right? But now it's negative attention. <laughs> so so they're now a threat right on the Yugoslav border, well, nearly on the Yugoslav borders, on the borders of their satellite states. Okay? And so Stalin orders Eastern Bloc nations, mainly Hungary, but also Albania and Romania to conduct military exercises on the borders of Yugoslavia. And there's a military buildup. And this is meant as a big stick threat of like, hey, I can invade you anytime I want, and tomorrow I just might do it. And so that's that's a major blow that Stalin, I feel like, sends in my direction. That's that's like a that's the straight punch right there. Or at least or at least it's telling me I can do the straight punch at any time I want. And I could just take you down. In response, Tito builds up his military to the Europe's third largest army at the time. I'm not sure what the other two are, but I'm pretty sure that Europe's first largest army at the time was the USSR. It might have been the first in the world. Is that See, what you... it was? It was basically the first in the world because uh, there's this famous saying. Um, see, when when the Vatican, the Pope criticized Stalin, mm-hmm. 
about stuff, Stalin said, oh yeah, well, how many tank armies does the Vatican have? Mm-hmm. USSR had more tanks and more military than all of the other countries in Europe combined. Combined. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's The Soviet it. Union was a massively military. It had seven tank armies. Well, everybody else demobilized, Look, but they didn't. So that's the They thing, didn't right? at all. Yeah. Basically, the, we, conscription service is still going on today in Russia, and it was going on full in strength. Basically, Soviet Union had more tanks... Like, you know, they had seven tank armies. One, like, each of their tank armies had more tanks than France and Germany combined. (laughs) Why is Germany combined, okay? It was insane. If it wasn't for nukes, the Soviets would could just easily roll over everyone. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's got all this army, right? And he's massing it on my borders. And there's this quote here, and and maybe I shouldn't be the one saying Stalin's quote, but it's a great quote, so I'll just go ahead and do it. He says, he's quoted as saying, I don't want to crush Tito. Tito's basically a good man. I want Tito to recant. I want Tito at my feet begging for forgiveness, and I will forgive him. But here's the thing. Tito doesn't give in. He doesn't back down. Stalin's expecting that, oh, Tito's going to fold. He's, he, he's calling Tito's bluff, right? But but Tito's not bluffing. Instead, what he does is, first of all, he knows his the ace in his hand is that if Stalin starts a war in Yugoslavia, that is going to really mess with the whole Cold War politics that are going on between Stalin and the West, right? Yep. That's so he he can't here, actually upva- invade without severely upsetting that delicate east-west diplomatic balance. And I just I just love I just love to imagine how Tito and Gabriel Nasser of Egypt were just you know sitting there and cheering with their own glasses and like having fun. Yeah, like so Gabriel. By the way, by the way, a short intro. If you don't know who Gabriel Nasser is, that's the dude who is the only person in living history who managed to get the Iron Cross from the Nazis and then get a Soviet Medal of Honor, basically. Yeah, but he was Egypt, which he right? wore both because he was also in this camp of oh well, I'm a, I'm a play you both guys, <laughs> and Tito was his kind of. I, I know that they had some co- correspondence at least. Yeah. And Stalin can't go to war with Tito because that would look really bad. Like, yeah. So it turns out like that you, actually... Like Hungary in 1952 looks, looks awful already. And then Czechoslovakia will look terrible as well, like the Prague Spring and everything. But Yugoslavia is just too big and too important. And no, there's Tito there. And Tito mm-hmm. doesn't care. Well, see, the thing is, it turns out he knows that Stalin's actually the one bluffing. So Tito calls Stalin's bluff. And then he bargains with Truman instead. And in 1948, accepts aid from the West. And so now now he's supported. And now he is not just Yugoslavia, but he has he's, he's got friends in high places now. And so that, I, th- I feel like that's the part in this round where... Tito kind of has his sort of rocky comeback where he starts really fighting. <laughs> and now, now all of a sudden he's got his second wind here. And then, so here, and then at that point, that's when Tito feels empowered to really start implementing a whole different kind of communism. And he starts making speeches that sort of demonize the Soviet Union as just riddled with bureaucratic centralism and this kind of dominating top-down, bureaucratic, centralized kind of model. And 
Instead, he says, we're going to go a different way in Yugoslavia. We're going to go bottom up. We're going to do, go decentralization, give more power to the individual republics within the country than the federal government. We're going to have the, the workers manage their own enterprises. <laughs> and we're going to actually make good on the Marxist promise for, of power to the people. And so he spins this in terms of propaganda as like, we're the more, the more true Marxist. We're the better communists. We're the ones actually doing it right. So there. <laughs> well, being the better Marxist doesn't mean doesn't make you a better person. <laughs> well, that's not what we're talking about, though, is it? <laughs> what do you mean it's not? Wait, wait. Getting more. <laughs> no, I have actually kind of forgotten what we're what we're talking about. Because you know what? For you, maybe it is an important discussion, but for me, it's a philosophical look back at these two different ideologies. Because for me, it was always like this, you know. I I do believe that uh, the I'm see the thing is Tito himself says that he believed in communism, but at one point, I think he kind of became disillusioned with it, sort of, in a way. Even though uh, after after later on, he'll he'll get like back to good relations and everything, but. Um, He's the only man to ever post Stalin live. Mm -hmm. That makes Tito a badass, but there had to be a Stalin for that to be true. Yeah, and kind of I I asked my dad about the situation here, and like, you know, um, I'm twisting and turning around things, but I asked my dad about how was this struggle looked like, and then they talk they spoke about a lot of people who were like actually alive uh -huh. during the fifties, and. At one point, you, like Yugoslavian stuff was like you know we over here in the Soviet Union we got our own made stuff which was crap. Then uh, the next like if you could get American stuff that was only from back market like American Western European stuff, but Yugoslavian stuff and Hungarian and like other 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 countries around us was like considered to be way better than the Soviet stuff, but not as quite good as as the Western stuff. Yugoslavian stuff, whatever that was, Yugoslavian just anything was considered to be miles better than anything else hmm. in the Western Bloc. And the people at the in time... In the Eastern Bloc. In the Eastern Bloc, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I am very sorry. My, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm, right, I'm listening. I'm reading from my notes and I'm getting confusing here. But yeah, basically, <laughs> the stuff is that um, Yug Yugoslavs as such were treated as if they were like, you know, they're capitalists actually, but they're pretending to be Soviet so that we would have peace. Mm -hmm. That was general view. It's like, they're not really in the Eastern Bloc. They're pretenders. Well, that's, that's the thing, is eventually Tito takes... The, we're getting outside of our time period now, but Tito takes this to the point where he says, we're not the Eastern Bloc, we're not the Western Bloc, we're not part of any Bloc, we're going to organize all the nations that are not part of any Bloc and be the non-aligned nations. That doesn't happen until like the 60s, but, that, but that's where this is headed. Yeah, everything's uh, everything kind of gets sort of weird in a way. <laughs> but then again, everything everything in history is weird. Yeah, you can't. The thing is, you can't get straight through anything with like I, I don't even know. Jeez. <laughs> okay, well let's let's. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make I'm gonna I'm gonna abuse my situation and uh -huh. like, uh, tell some political jokes or whatever to, to lighten up the mood. Okay. And I like this one. I like this one because uh, you know I because uh, you know from 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 my Jewish half that there, there is a small like Russians like puns. They like especially this one was like mm -mm. this was made from Yosef Guberman 
obviously a Jewish author from Odessa, and he wrote, mm-hmm. "When you're when you're hugging vodka and the regime under the hugs of vodka and the regime, Russia sleeps and doesn't move, and only Jew, even though he trembles, runs across r- runs across the line." Hmm? Yeah, it's about the stuff. Uh, the thing is. Yugoslavia was treated as the place where <clears throat> all the Jews run for before running away to Israel. They run to get their own uh, Jewish comrades. Because anti-Semitism was, was, uh-huh. was terrible, but it was like created... See, the weirdest thing is, all these jokes about the Jews were made by the Jews in Odessa. Which is huh. the fucking creepiest part about the situation. But yeah, uh, Yugoslavia was also seen as one of these places where, you know, before flying to Israel, you would go to Yugoslavia, grab up your cousin, and then fly away to Israel from there. Okay. Or, you know, grab your Soviet car, sell it in Yugoslavia, use the money to just go away to Israel. Uh-huh. That happened Okay, so Yugoslavia well. is being positioned as uh, basically um, Jewish in, 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 in a very derogatory sense basically being run by Jews or being like a home base for Jews or being just basically a, yeah. But again, I do have to state that, you know what? I have firmly discovered that all, basically 90% of Soviet jokes come from Odessa, which is the most Jewish town in the Soviet Union run by the Jewish organized crime. So all the Jewish jokes are made by Jews because that's the Ashkenazi way of dealing with troubles. Well, I mean... Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, you got to laugh at the tragedy and you could laugh at yourself, but <laughs> the rest of us don't get that right to laugh at them that way. But, well, um, I don't know. See, the thing is, the thing is, uh, over here in, like, uh, in the Soviet Union, it's kind of weird because the Jewish jokes were kind of made with the Jewish, Soviet jokes were made with the Jews at the bottom of them, but uh, a lot of the times Jewish are making fun of everyone else and Jewish jokes and Soviet jokes kind of grew together. Because, uh, in a way, Soviet political anecdote is the same Jewish self-depreciating anecdote just turned political in the Soviet era. And at one point, they're starting to make jokes about how they're escaping and everything. And kind of, you know, at one point, these jokes kind of transcended all the situation. It's kind of it's kind of this part of this Ashkenazi culture. And uh, I don't believe it's derogatory. It's like, it, it, it's a thing. Mm-hmm, <laughs> we're, we're, mm-hmm. not, we're not that... Uh, I, like over here, the local Jewish population is not that angry when it, when someone else tells Jewish jokes from the Soviet Union, because mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. became everyone's jokes. Because you know we all lived under the system, mm-hmm. and yeah, Yugoslavia sort of. Even though I do still claim that Stalin was always more powerful than the Yugoslavian people, if we if we claim about who lived better, who had like more freedoms in the end, and who actually happened to like basically basically got to live in a better country than the Yugoslavian people want. Even hmm. though we made terrible jokes about them. Yeah, that's the thing. Is I, I have heard it said many times that if you had to live in a communist country, Yugoslavia was the place to do it. Because they had significantly greater uh, freedoms in some sense, like the ability to travel uh, outside the country without getting major permissions. Your passport would get you into both Eastern Bloc countries and Western Bloc countries. And just in general, there was a lot less uh, centralized restriction and oppression than in many other satellite states of the Soviet Union. Yeah, and you know, in the Soviet Union, again, 
other these political jokes because Soviet Union's political power was concentrated in, in the hand of its hands of its leaders, and that is this joke that you know the the deputy elected deputy of the higher council, the USSR, returns from the government session and he comes back home, and the wife gives him kind of the, his dinner, and, and she asks him, "Well, wanna eat some borscht for for the first first meal?" And the the husband just silently raises his arm. Okay, well, will, will you will you eat will you eat shashlik as your second meal, like for the main meal? And the husband again just silently raises his arm. So does that mean yes? Raising his arm means yes. Well, yeah, he votes for it. Okay, yeah. And okay. then 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 the wife asks him, "Well, will will you will you want to drink some vodka with me later on?" And then her husband just steps, uh, just raises from his seat and just starts applauding massively. <laughs> Just like someone I, in the audience of Stalin's speeches or something. Yeah, you you listened to that episode. You I know. did. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I guess in the end, um, in the end, I would have to say that Stalin is way more intimidating figure than Tito. Tito was bad oh, yeah. for sure, but in the end, Yugoslavian people kind of won hmm. because of Tito. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of that's that's my final word, verdict here. Yeah, and 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 to put the final word on it, so we don't quite make it to the end of round three because what actually puts to an end the Tito-Stalin conflict is that Stalin kicks the bucket, basically dies March fifth, nineteen fifty-three, and so basically Tito outlasts him, and then as we were saying earlier in the episode, the uh, the next person to take power is Khrushchev, of course, and attempts to distance his image from that of Stalin for all the reasons that Kristaps said before. And one of the acts done to make it appear like Khrushchev is going to be a much less tyrannical ruler, etc., is there is a normalizing of relations between the USSR and Yugoslavia. Khrushchev visits Yugoslavia in 1955, tells Yugoslavia, quote, there are different roads to communism and their relations normalize. And after that, Tito basically kind of wins an unstated right to continue developing his communism along the ideological lines that he had developed during this conflict with the workers' self-management. And in, like I said, in, the, in 1960, I think it was, they start the movement of non-aligned nations, so not being either Eastern Bloc or Western Bloc and organizing other nations in forming this kind of neutral faction of a kind. And that's that's really where things kind of head off in different directions in this timeline. You can imagine an, an alternate timeline where Stalin lives longer or, or something else kind of like intervenes or Tito dies ah, but, first and but, then something, but, an entirely but, 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 different communism develops in Yugoslavia. <laughs> But there, but there, there was there was this joke like, what would happen if Stalin would resurrect suddenly? Uh, <laughs> well, then Khrushchev would definitely run over America with ease. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because he would, he, Khrushchev would run over to America. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, like this, he would this, flee. The, yeah, this is this is kind of the the more it's kind of hard. Yeah, that was the thought. But the thing is, all these jokes are in Russian, and sometimes they, they just don't really translate. And I yeah, have you need to pick, context pick some for them. them. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. like my favorite still is what is the most permanent thing in the Soviet Union? Temporary difficulties. <laughs> oh, this is just temporary difficulties before we realize the true communism. Yeah. <laughs> 
like uh, like communism is like horizon you can always see that but it'll never come uh-huh yeah it's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow which as a young child i actually did chase after once and i got halfway through a cornfield and i uh, realized that i was really tired of, t- of running <laughs> trying to get that to the end of the rainbow <laughs> yeah Anyway, this well, episode went completely bonkers sideways from what we intended originally. Yeah, so but, I, ah, well, it'll do. It'll so do. We're going to decide what we're going to do with all the material we came up with. Maybe we will uh, release a special episode. Maybe it'll go on a special feed. Uh, ours, Eastern Borders, I don't know. Maybe we'll do the Blade Runner version where we have multiple <laughs> versions, multiple director's cuts out there, and you can choose the one you want. We'll let you know, though, what we do with it. So, all right. So let's bring this to an end. Uh, that's all for today, folks. Thanks to listeners of both Dead Ideas and Eastern Border and any Wait new a listeners minute. out there. Wait a minute. Yes. Wait a minute there. Yes, uh, yes. Good sir. Good yes. sir. I remember that we in the Eastern Border have this segment, Ask Uncle Joe. <laughs> okay, and you have a question for, for Uncle Joe. Oh, yes. Yes, I get my question answered on air. Okay. So, can you please repeat your question then? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, okay. I remember what it was. Uh, please, Mr. Stalin, in your opinion, what is the cutest animal? <laughs> oh, well. <clears throat> but I can I can respond to this to you with, with ease. Come on. Stalin, for all of his life, only wear rider's boots. That means the horse is the best animal. Ah, Horse does a lot of work. Horse always works very, very hard. Stalin wore rider's boots throughout his life and nothing else. Because, you know, Lenin only wore shoes, but by Stalin's time, the Soviet country was in in the shit through the knees already, so he had to wear boots. And, you know, if you sit on a horse, (laughs) then it's better that way. (laughs) So the horse is the cutest animal. Very nice. <laughs> All right, thank you very also, much. Also, also another thing. Also another thing. Like, um, and I have to I have to give you a, a Soviet joke here. Stalin and Molotov are like hunting, and uh-huh. and the duck flies around, and Stalin shoots but misses, and Molotov is like, "Oh, how strange, comrade Stalin! A dead, a dead duck is continuing to fly." <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Something. Well, all right. Well, well, we'll we'll bring this to the close. We'll bring this to a close. All right. So, um, yeah. Thank you to everybody who listened. Thank you, Kristaps, for being on this show. Thank you for having me on your show mutually. <laughs> and in the meantime, everybody, remember I said we were going to have a contest. So, Dead Ideas is holding a kind of black humor kind of contest, voting on who should play Tito if there ever were to be a Hollywood movie version of his life. And whether Hollywood chooses to sanitize him by either making him totally heroic, like, you know, Alexander the Great or something. Alexander the Great, the real guy, was a dick. But obviously he's been romanticized in Hollywood. So they could do that with Tito, or they could totally vilify him like some kind of Bond villain. Whichever they choose to do, who should play Tito? So and if you don't, and if you don't vote for me, then I know where you live. <laughs> Christophs should play Tito. Listeners of both shows are welcome <laughs> to vote. So all you have to do is go to Facebook or Twitter and vote by posting with the hashtag Hollywood Tito. So hashtag Hollywood Tito and the name of the actor that you think should play Tito, and anything else you want to throw in there. Then you get your name entered in a random drawing to win a free portrait in which I will draw you in the time period and culture of your choosing. I will make you look awesome, I promise. So, And 
Go ahead and, and he do tells that. the truth. These portraits of me and Alice are like really amazing. And thank oh. you, man. It was oh, just great. You. Oh, thank you. It was a fun one to do. The winner of the contest will be announced September 17th on Dead Ideas. So be sure to vote before then. Also, you can support both our shows on Patreon. We are at www.patreon.com forward slash Dead Ideas pod. Kristaps, anything you want to say about your Patreon? I am on patreon.com slash the Eastern Border. Excellent. And for some reason, people have a hard time finding us through search. But that will not stop through, comrades. I, I find it rate, easier by going to your website and clicking on the Patreon link from there. Yeah, I suppose so. That's, that's the easier way. I'm, I'm on the Eastern Border LV, and if you guys haven't listened to me yet, I'm the crazy guy who was on Brandon's previous episodes, and I do Soviet history a lot, and... Uh, Brandon does Dead Ideas, which is pretty self-explanatory, or not, but you'll have to check it out yourself. Yeah, what else is new? Um, uh, Come visit Latvia, honestly. Uh, You have a place to sleep on my couch. I'm always open to people, because lately I've found out that my post service loses about half of the stuff that I send abroad, which is terrible. I'm going to have to switch to, (laughs) like, a higher costing, more expensive postal service, but yeah. Come visit us on the eastern border. We live in Latvia, Riga, very east of European Union. So, yeah, it's going to be great. And comrades, next episode, we will deal with heavy subjects as usual and uh, more Stalin upcoming. But do listen, do give Brandon a listen on his Tito series. I like how, so most podcasters will like have like a Patreon perk that's like, I'll give you, <laughs> I'll send you a t-shirt or something. And you're like, you can come live with me. <laughs> no, no, no. They have the perks. I promise I'll send them stuff. But the thing is, like, I today I found out that over 50% of what I send doesn't reach, doesn't reach the, the address. Yeah, that's not a good percentage. And uh, the thing is, if my post loses something that I can reproduce, like a t-shirt, that's okay. Uh-huh. But if they lose Soviet rubles or Communist Party pins, yeah, they can't be reproduced, man. It's just that it's just lost, lost, yeah, thing. wasted effort. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so I'll have to figure something out. Okay, so thanks everybody. I'm BT Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas. Do свидания, товарищи. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.